Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14 this morning. And don't worry, we'll make our way back to 1 Peter next week. But we are going to continue a little bit of a break from our study through 1 Peter as we take time this morning to look at this passage from 2 Kings. Now, I just want to take a moment to locate where we are. The passage in 2 Kings takes place about 800 B.C., 800 years before the birth of Christ. Israel has divided into two different nations. As you remember, under David, the kingdom was united and Solomon reigned over both Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdom. But then under Solomon's son, it was divided. In our passage for this morning, we are in the northern kingdom, the kingdom that is called Israel. And the northern kingdom had evil kings. From this kingdom came Ahab, as you know, was was an evil king. And the Lord sent prophets. He sent Elijah to bring about revival amongst the people in the northern kingdom. And now we have his predecessor, Elisha, who is coming as a prophet, seeking to restore right worship and a right understanding of God and his ways with his people. In our passage for this morning, We are shown that God's blessings will come upon His people, not because of their heritage, not because they are just called Israel, but God's blessings come upon those who trust His Word, place their faith in His work alone, and seek to live by that Word in obedience. So hear now the Word of the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the little girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, 
that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servant came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us go to him now in prayer. Father God, we come before you. And we come to your word. With hearts that seek to understand. And so we pray, O Lord that You would be faithful yet again to send forth Your Spirit and power, that our eyes may be open, that our ears may be unstopped, that we may turn and be healed. And we pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Mosab Hassan Yosef. He is the eldest son of the co-founder of Hamas, the Palestinian terror organization that seeks the end of the nation of Israel. Yosef recalls that from the earliest age, he was taught to hate Israel and that in the war to bring down this nation, innocent blood would have to be shed. At the age of 10, he was arrested for the first time for he had been throwing rocks at an Israeli settler in the West Bank. This arrest was just the first of many during Yosef's early life. As the eldest son of the leader of Hamas, he was the heir apparent of the organization. He was deeply involved in the upper levels of power and management. He was the very face of the enemy, a Muslim terrorist bent on the destruction of Israel. In our passage for this morning, We come across a man that would have been just as repulsive to Israel in 800 B.C. as Yosef was to Israel in the modern day. This man's name, Naaman. Verses 1 through 2 of our text tells us why this man would have been hated in Israel. If you look there again, it says Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Now Syria has been 
the major antagonist to the nation of Israel throughout the narrative of kings. It was against Syria that Ahab went out to war and was killed. We find that Naaman is a very successful commander in this army against Israel. We also see that he has not just won military victories, but that he has brought back slaves from Israel in his wars against them. A little girl, in fact, has been carried off by Naaman and used as a slave within his household. Naaman would have been a great villain in the eyes of Israel. The next thing we learn about Naaman was that he was a leper. Now, the term leper could be used to describe a, ver- a variety of skin diseases that were common in the Middle East at the time. But whatever the specific disease was, we do not know, but we know that he was suffering. And as an Israelite, you probably would have thought, well, it serves him right. He has brought pain and suffering to the people of Israel. He deserves to be struck with this disease. But then in verse 3, we run into a strange proposition. A suggestion that disrupts all that we might have suggested about where this narrative was going. Look at verse 3. See the suggestion of this little Israelite girl. She says, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. And this one suggestion, this young Israelite girl, brings to the forefront a very important question. Can a man like Naaman Receive the grace of God. Why would she think that Naaman could receive such a healing from the Lord? Why would a Syrian commander receive such a gift from God? He is the enemy of the Lord. Why would he ever expect to receive anything but God's wrath? And that is the question that is being addressed throughout this text. How might Naaman receive the grace of God's healing? What gift might he bring? What ritual might be performed? What pilgrimage might he make to earn the Lord's blessing in his life? And yet at every point we are hit with this one crystal clear truth. God's enemies are offered His grace freely only. The first way that we see Naaman seeking the blessing of the Lord's grace is through his wealth. In verse 5 we read, So he went to Israel, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. We need to take a moment to wrap our minds around the amount of wealth that this man is brought with him. Seven hundred pounds of silver. 125 pounds of gold. We're not talking, or we are talking about millions of dollars worth of precious metals. And along with that money, 10 outfits. Now we're not talking about something that you would pick up at the mall downtown. These clothes would have been worth thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. This is no small offering that Naaman is bringing with him to be healed. 
And by this money, Naaman was making the same mistake that has been made throughout the history of God's people concerning the relationship between the grace of God and the wealth of an individual. For Naaman assumed wrongly that he could purchase the healing grace of God. In the book of Acts, we run across a man named Simon who also made this mistake. For he saw the power of the apostles and he offered them money to receive the same power. And in Acts chapter 8, we read the apostles' response. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. God is not for hire. And yet we continue to make this assumption that I might obtain the gift of God with my well, John Tetzel sold indulgences in Germany for the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century. The basic system was purchase a piece of paper from the Pope and earn release from purgatory for your friends or relatives or even for yourself. For as soon as the coin in the box clings, the soul from purgatory springs, he said. It was this crass selling of God's forgiveness that led Martin Luther to begin his protest against the Roman Catholic Church and insist that salvation is by grace through faith alone. But even today, we have televangelists bank on the fact that people believe that they can obtain the gift of God with their money. Send in your gift of $350 and you will begin to see the Lord moving in your life. Make the check out to me and see God blessing you. Now I understand that there are probably not many of you out here today that would purchase an indulgence to release a soul from purgatory, nor even send Benny Hinn some seed money that will bring you great wealth. And yet we continue to look to our wealth or our lack of wealth as a barometer of the Lord's acceptance of our lives. We are still under the false teaching that somehow our wealth will earn us a seat at the table of grace. Even when the Lord Jesus has taught us that it is more difficult for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. You see, our wealth may be the very thing that stands in the way of us receiving the gift of God because it makes us proud. We think that we can receive God's grace with our money, but wealth cannot buy His grace, for God gives His grace freely only. Now, when Naaman comes to Israel... He comes not only with all this wealth, but also with much prestige. We are told that he is a great commander. And we are told that the king of Israel rips his robes when he is faced with the impossible task of healing Naaman. Why was the king of Israel in such distress? Because Naaman was not the type of man that you disappoint. Naaman was making him an offer that he could not refuse. And unfortunately, he couldn't deliver. If there was a healing to be gained in Israel, then Naaman was the type of man that would make sure that he got it. 
And yet we see in our text that the Lord is not impressed with Naaman's position. We read in the first verse that it was the Lord who had given Naaman his victories. And then we read in verse 10 that the Lord's prophet didn't even go out and meet this great man. Verse 10, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him. Now we are just naturally impressed with power and prestige. Naaman may have been hated, but he was also respected. But the Lord could not care less about Naaman's power. He did not care that he was a great general. Could you imagine if President Trump showed up here at the church, all the Secret Service coming in, Marine One coming down and landing in the parking lot, and he comes to my office asking for prayer and guidance, and I say, you know what, I'm a little busy. Uh, you can meet with one of my elders. Uh, you know, you need to make an appointment with Janet before you come and see me. Um, but, you know, uh, I'm sure somebody will take good care of you. We love to be close to people with power and fame. We pine even for a piece of paper with their autograph or a picture with them. And we assume that they are special and deserve special treatment because of their status. But God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're famous or if you are unknown. His grace is not tied to our prestige or lack thereof. His grace is not tied to whether you are rich or poor, powerful or weak, intelligent or simple, beautiful or ugly. The degrees on your wall, the awards you have won are nothing to the Lord. But we want to believe that certain people are special. And by the sheer fact that they are famous, deserve something from the Lord. Now, in our egalitarian society where we are taught everyone is equal, we all are on the same level, it may be easy to think, you know, we don't really struggle with this. Kings and generals, yeah, we don't think that they have a special place, a special privilege leading to God's salvation. But in reality... We have made the problem even worse. For we have raised generations who think that they are little princesses and heroes. And because of that, they are deserving of God's grace. That because of who they are in their person, they deserve God to bless them. But God's grace is not given because we are lovely or because we are great. Our status does not impress His grace one bit. For His grace is given freely. Only. Now, Naaman is not happy about what the prophet Elisha has said. Elisha doesn't come out to meet him. And then his servant tells him that he must go wash seven times in the Jordan River. Verse 11, we see Naaman's response. He said, it says, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. You see, Naaman expected a magic show. 
He wanted Elisha to come out and make a big show, wave his hand over the diseased area, maybe dance around a little bit. He wanted Elisha to put some good juju on him. But Elisha didn't go along. And Naaman was furious because he believed that God's grace would come if a good show was made. And we tend to think in these terms as well. Whether we seek rituals or charismatic displays or overly polished and professional worship services, we think that if we get the outward actions correct, that God will respond with His grace. But God's grace does not come when we get our hand waving correct. It comes freely only. And every generation and every denomination can fall into this trap of trying to coerce the grace of God through ritual. For the Catholics think that by baptism they are cleansed by their sin. The Pentecostals think that by speaking in tongues you can automatically call down God's grace. And listen to this. Evangelicals think that by getting someone to say a specific prayer, salvation will be granted. But all of these rituals are tied up in the desire to gain God's grace through our efforts to tie the actions of God to some specific action of man. We want ATM grace. You swipe the card, put in the right code, and get out your reward. And all of these rituals are rooted in the same mistake that Naaman was making. For God's grace does not come through ritual or showmanship. But oh, how we desire to pin God down and force His grace through our actions. But ritual cannot coerce God's grace. It comes freely only. Now Naaman was very unhappy. He had come all this way just to be told to go wash in the Jordan River. You see, the Jordan was not a very impressive river. There are months out of the year when there is a good flow of water, but for the most part, it's a lazy, muddy creek. Why should he come all this way just to bathe in this backwoods river? Look at his response in verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman still does not understand God's grace. And he makes another mistake that we so often make, namely that God's grace is connected to a specific place. He is making the mistake that the power of water comes from the glory of the location. And he says, look, if I need the power of a river to wash me clean, then why not choose a good river, a grand river? Why wash in the Blackwater Creek, which I would not recommend? (laughs) I've been told you don't want to wash there. You might get leprosy. But why in the Blackwater Creek when I could go to the James or even better, the Mississippi? God's grace is not connected to the glory of a location. And then we yet we fall into this trap. We want a place where we can go. We want a monument or a city or a country to be the holy place of God. 
But God's grace is not connected to some location. Pilgrimage don't earn you anything. Visiting Jerusalem, while a great experience, doesn't earn you any bonus points with God. Neither, neither does traveling to the Vatican or even Westminster Abbey. As Paul explains... The Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? God does not offer His grace to those who have made the journey. No matter how many steps you take or how many holy sites you visit, you earn nothing from the Lord. For place cannot contain the grace of God. For He gives His grace freely only. Now Naaman is very upset. He has come with all his money, all his glory, just to be told by the prophet's servant to go wash in a muddy creek. And he is about to walk out on the whole thing. But his servant says to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Naaman's servant says, why not try it? It is a great promise. All you have to do is trust the word of the Lord. Turn from your wealth. Turn from your status, from your rituals, from your temples. And in faith receive the promise of God. And so Naaman goes to the Jordan. And we read in verse 15, He went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Naaman had faith and he was healed. And here we see one more thing that does not guarantee God's grace. And that is your lineage. You see, Naaman received God's grace. He humbled himself before the Lord. Everything he brought with him was stripped away and he was left with one simple question. Will you believe the word of the Lord in obedience or not? Will you have faith in the promise of God and be healed? Will you receive the free gift of God's grace? And he displayed his faith in God's word through his obedience. However, this healing goes against everything that an Israelite wanted to believe about God's grace. For this man was an enemy of God's people. This man did not deserve to be healed. He was a Gentile. And the Jews hadn't gotten over this affront even 800 years later. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and He declared... There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now listen to how they responded to Jesus saying this. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Why? Why were they so angry? Because Jesus was teaching them, revealing to them, pulling back the curtain to them that they might see God's grace is not tied to lineage, but it is for people of all nations. We earn nothing by being Jewish. We earn nothing by being American. Our race, our nationality, our gender earn us nothing before God. 
For Paul tells us in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God's grace comes freely only. And anything that we would hold up as the reason for why we have been accepted by God besides His free grace is an idol and it is a stumbling block that we must get out of our lives. We must be stripped of all of our pride. We must be stripped of all of our righteousness. We must be stripped of all of our privilege. And we must come to God not as a wealthy general, but as a helpless leper. And each of us here in this room as we sit before the promise of the Word of God must be stripped of any sense that we are worthy or have a right to God's grace. No wealth, no status, no ceremony covering us. But as a weak and helpless leper infected by the stain of sin. And the question you must ask yourself this morning is, am I willing To leave all my hopes for forgiveness and acceptance before God and by faith be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ alone. For Naaman was called to wash in a shameful river. But we are called to go to the shameful cross and trust the promise of God that by the blood of Jesus Christ, sin is forgiven, and that by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, new life is given. That is only through faith in the work of Christ that we might be made new. Are you willing to trust the grace of God in Jesus Christ that comes freely only? After years of learning the ways of Hamas, Yosef became disillusioned. He saw the way that the Israelites treated even their enemies and was ashamed of the way his people had behaved. And so he did the unthinkable. He became an undercover agent for the Israeli intelligence agency. He began collecting data and feeding it to Israel to save the lives of hundreds While in Israel, Yosef encountered a Christian missionary. He could not help but be drawn to the life of service and teaching of love. It took him several years, but finally he was baptized. And in 2005, he went humbly to the cross. And an outward display of obedience in his baptism came to faith in Christ alone. God's grace is not just for those whom we might deem worthy. For His grace is for all who call on His name. Jesus said there were many lepers in Israel in the day of Elisha, but Naaman was the one who was healed. And today we might say there are many children who have been raised in the church and have rebelled against their parents' belief, but the Lord has chosen to bring a Muslim terrorist to faith. And that might grind against what we believe is right and what the Lord should do. But He does such things because He is seeking to display to all His people that His grace is not given because we are worthy. His grace is given freely only. 
And if you bring anything else before the Lord, then you do not understand grace. We do not earn it in any way. Not by power. Not by money. Not by ritual. Not by pilgrimage. Not by heritage. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Or as the hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress. Helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I too the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to You now and we confess that though we know the doctrine that we are saved by grace through faith, that we are saved alone by the work of Christ, so often in our own lives, we seek to hold up our status. We seek to hold up our righteousness. We seek to hold up our wealth, our heritage, and to say, I know that I am right with God because of these things. Father, may we be stripped of such confidence in the flesh. And may we trust in Christ alone. Wash us, Savior, or we die. We pray this in Your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.